You're listening to an open book podcast. I'm Sarah Lynn, your guide to getting visible online, fellow bookworm, and Elon Musk superfan. In these episodes, I'm opening up all kinds of business and personal growth books to share their best insights and ideas with you. You'll also hear each week the candid stories of other entrepreneurs as they open up about what it's really like to start and grow a business that aligns with your purpose. If you're open to learning both practical and mystical approaches for getting there, you're in the right place and I'll see you on the inside. Okay, so today is going to be a really fun podcast episode because I am joined today by Enneagram expert, Steph Hall, Stephanie Hall, um, and she recently wrote a book about the Enneagram in love, Enneagram in love, and we're going we're gonna to talk about the book, um, and we're going to talk about relationships, probably predominantly romantic relationships, but I think what we take from today, you can apply to any relationship. And the reason why I wanted to have her on specifically was because as I've, as I've gone through this and Steph and I were just talking before I hit record, um, as I've been talking to business owners and just kind of struggles that they're, they're going through and, and their whole life, it's, they, they have a reason why they started a business and most of the time it has to do with their loved ones, um, and creating yeah. a better life. And, and I'm going to bring Steph in here in just a second, but I, 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 I wanted her specifically because we can talk about offers and we can talk about business strategy and we're still going to do that. But if your relationships are tanking <laughs> or that part of your life is you know, I don't want to say balance, but is in maybe not a great spot. It's going to really be hard to show up in, in the best version of you in your business. Um, and if you do have success, what is, what's it going to mean? So there's the tee up Steph. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I am excited that you are here and we have, um, we have some questions from, Instagram folks that we're going to, we're going to get into later in the show. And so already people are into this topic. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm pumped that you're here. So, so tell, tell me a little bit about how you even got into the Enneagram, like that's, and then we'll get into (laughs) high level what it is. Um, let's, let's start there. Well, I think that a lot of your listeners will probably resonate with my story a little bit. So I, I have, I have this kind of tendency to, to start doing something and then to turn it into a business. So for example, for a while I was working full time and in the meantime, like on the weekends, you know, my free time or whatever that is, um, I started uh, doing like wedding florals. So I was a wedding florist for a few years. So that was my first business. And then I kind of stepped away from that. I'm still working full time, learned about the Enneagram actually through my husband and my sister. They're like, oh, you would like this. So I started getting into it, started learning about it. About a year and a half after I had learned about it, um, I decided to create coffee mugs for each Enneagram type. That's amazing. So <laughs> have you heard of the podcast Side Hustle School? Yes. Let's see. Yeah. So Is that Chris. Chris Gillibo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I was listening to his podcast and I was like, oh my gosh, like I 
could create these coffee mugs. So, and, and so again, my little hobby, the Enneagram became a business, right? So I hired a designer, I got these icons made, everything, got it up for a holiday, uh, 2017. I was in e-commerce merchandising at the time. So, um, I, I got it up for holiday 17 and it, it was fun. It was, it was really fun. And then kind of after the holidays, it dropped off. And then 2018 holidays came around, but in the, that intervening year, I really dug into what the Enneagram is and I started teaching it and I got a certification to coach using the Enneagram. And then I started seeing that what did well in my Instagram was not the coffee mugs, but was actually like the stuff about the Enneagram. And I was like, well, this is what I want to talk about anyway. So I pivoted and here we are. <laughs> here we are today. And now you're a published author talking, writing about the Enneagram. Um, what, <laughs> no, wait, what was, what were on your coffee mugs? Like just like a, like saying. So, so we, um, created like these icons, um, and they're, they're actually still available on Etsy, but it's like a little, it almost looks like a badge kind of, um, it kind of has like a vintagey feel to it, but I basically thought of, you know, what are these different images that represent different types? So for example, the type three, there's a, a mountaintop, I think. <laughs> I'm like trying to remember now what all of them are because we had 18. We had, we had two different designs for each type. Um, and then it would say like the achiever at the bottom. So really, uh, they're, they're kind of like these concepts and then it had like the little name for the type. Oh my God. That's so fun that, you know what? I, I started off, well, one of my many ideas too. I feel like we have a lot in common with an Amazon product. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like a baby. It was a baby product. Terrible idea, but <laughs> it, it is fun to like create something. Um, yeah. but I love, okay. So you took it to Instagram. You started to like see what people were engaging with pivoted that way, which yeah. happens, right? Yeah. Um, that's how it always happens. Most of the time it's right. like we never start out. So bef- before we get too much further ahead, I'm going, I'm coming to this conversation, assuming that most of the listeners have an inkling of what the Enneagram is, but just so we can kind of get on somewhat of the same page, can you give us a quick overview and by no means do you have to deep dive into each type, but can you just talk about what, what it is and how it might different differentiate from other personality types? Yeah. So, I mean, we've all heard the Enneagram term being thrown around, right? So, and, and it is confusing because it, it's not super clear what it is. It's not as simple as some of the other personality profiling systems. So in short, I call it a personality profiling system. I don't really love that. I think that the Enneagram is more about personal growth work than a lot of other systems are. So um, I think that's really important. Um, But basically it's oriented around nine archetypes, which are nine different core motivations. So it's not so much how you look on the outside or your behavior, but it's really about your internal motivation. And these nine core motivations basically are kind of oriented around this shape, which is the Enneagram shape. and it's really different from something like Myers-Briggs or something like StrengthsFinder or something like DISC um, in that it's, it is motivation-based, like I said, and it's also growth-oriented. So you, I mean, we don't learn our Enneagram type just to describe ourselves. A lot of memes on Instagram will have you believing that, but, but actually it's about that inner work. 
Um, so that's kind of what differentiates it. And I actually kind of got my start using the Enneagram because I was using a different motivation-based personality um, tool in the workplace. And I just love that concept of like, I think it's way better than using something like DISC, which is just very high level um, in terms of behavior, whereas the Enneagram goes a lot deeper. Oh my God, it goes so deep. Like you, you got wings and subtypes and all this stuff. And we're not going to get into that today, yeah. but I, I do. And I love, and you did a great job of explaining it in your, in your book too, about it being motivation-based, which I think is maybe a great place to start talking about relationships because so many of us, I think, can get frustrated with our partners or our loved ones or friends because of their actions without understanding motivations. Yeah. So what, let me just ask you this really quick. So what, what motivated you to write? And by the way, tell, will you tell our listeners what number you are? Yeah, I'm type three. Okay. Type three. And that's the achiever. She talked about that. So we'll, and we'll, we'll maybe get into some of the, the specifics, but what motivated you to write a book about love in the Enneagram? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. Um, to be honest, the, the way that the publishing world is working now <laughs> is really um, where publishers actually are pitching books to potential authors. So this is the book I got pitched. Um, the, this is the first book I, since then I've been pitched to several other books, but this is the first book I got pitched and it's really interesting. Cause like I mentioned, I love talking about the Enneagram at work. And so I, the past few months have been like, oh, why did I write this book about love? But when you start thinking about it, work, coworker relationships and love relationships, they're both interpersonal communication, um, tend to be more intimate relationships that are fraught with conflict and miscommunication, right? So, so that's, I mean, it is about love. It is about improving our, our individual relationships. Um, but I also just see it as a more holistic aspect of who we are. We all have some sort of intimate relationship, whether or not it's, you know, romantically intimate. We have some sort of relationship and this book is going to help with that. Uh, it, yeah, you're so right. Even, yeah, all kinds of relationships, friendships. Like I was reading this and just thinking like, Oh, like this is why my friend maybe does this. <laughs> um, and, um, what, what I also loved about this and might also be like a little bit of a hard pill for some of us to swallow is that you don't jump in talking about what other people should be doing or like explaining other other types right you start by having us become more self-aware <laughs> kind of being yeah. more self-reflective um and i i wrote down something a specific question i was going to ask you about that but i guess just just in general because this could be about the enneagram this could be anything um in this kind of self-development world we we want to be like well they do it wrong <laughs> or they do yeah. it this way and it bothers me. So like, what have you found maybe even on your own journey to this about having better relationships and, and starting with you versus the relationship first? If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is just, you, you alluded to this earlier, but understanding core motivation means that 
when I'm aware of my motivation, I'm also aware that that's not the same motivation that everyone else has. So I don't get to just look at somebody else's behavior and ascribe my motivation to their behavior. Meaning if, if I would get quiet if I were angry and somebody else gets quiet, that doesn't necessarily, I don't get to say, oh, they must be angry because they're allowed to have their own different motivation. So good. So that I think is, is kind of like the key thing. Um, but the other thing, I think a lot of the time, the things that really annoy us, I, I was talking to a friend actually yesterday about this. Um, and I was, I was talking about somebody who had been very persistent trying to get my attention um, about something and, and about a project. And I, I told my friend, I was like, this person is annoying or they're so persistent and they remind me of myself in a way that is so annoying. Like, and I, I mean, there have been many times in my life where I've said about myself, I'm nothing if not persistent. Like whether it's calling a potential property management agency every day to see if they're going to give me this house that I want to rent or, you know, all these different things, you know? So, so I, I think the thing that really, we have to become more aware of is observing our own, our own stuff, observing and having a little bit more self-acceptance for the things in us that annoy us <laughs> that we don't like. Um, because often when we see other people doing something or judge it, it's because there's something about us inside that is not going right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so true and so hard to accept sometimes. Um, I just got done reading, not just, but a couple of months ago, I got done reading Gabby Bernstein's Judgment Detox book. And basically, oh, I think you would, I think you would dig it. The, like the gist of it is like, every time you judge somebody, you're judging yourself. Exactly what you just said. It's like, it has nothing to do with somebody else triggering you. It's you, things happening inside of you from past experiences, beliefs, whatever, like you're saying, um, that are causing you to feel, act, be triggered in a certain way. Yeah but it's like, no, 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 no. But, but still <laughs> they did this, like they did this. Um, so that is, that is that self-awareness piece is so important. So, so important. Um, and I guess, and, and I loved what you said about the quiet, the meaning of quiet for you mm -hmm. is different than somebody else. And I'll just share an example. I am not in a serious romantic relationship. Now I was for three years and we had this constant fight. One example about loading the dishwasher and I couldn't That's understand. That's a very common one. <laughs> what is that? Can you explain that? Like explain I, that? I can't, but I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. <laughs> well, on a, the Enneagram poll, like two years later made me realize like, Oh, it's because like, and again, like it's hard to know what a number somebody else is, but just having the awareness of the motivations aren't, they're not trying to be like difficult or picky. It's like in their mind, they might really feel like there is a certain way to best clean the dishes. I do not see that type of detail with, I'm a seven. Um, and I just don't see that. Like, I don't see that, but somebody else like might see that and that might really irk them. So right or wrong, I think just having that awareness about yourself 
A, and then the fact that not everybody has the same motivations and lens that you see through the world is mind blowing and can be so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, I guess, what are some of the, I guess the common, um, I don't know if it's mistakes or problems, like we just talked about the dishwasher, that you see that just having maybe a better understanding of, and where the Enneagram might be able to help in some of those situations. And we're going to get into some specific questions later, but just from what you see. Yeah. I think the first one is just understanding core motivation that other people, that you don't get to ascribe your motivation to somebody else's behavior. Um, and the other thing that that does is it helps empathy. Like it helps mm. you cultivate empathy for your partner um, because you understand that while your demons are, you know, maybe that you have this really harsh inner critic, your other, your partner's big thing might be that they feel like they're not worthy unless somebody else tells them that they're loved. And, and, and so when you start to cultivate some empathy for the different types, um, you actually can like have that simple thing, um, will, will really help. Um, the other, let's see, other issues that people run into. I would say like assuming poor intent or like bad intentions. That's a big yes. one. Um, like for example, one thing that I get asked about a lot actually is type one and type nine is a really, really common pairing and not to get too particular, but type nines tend to need a lot more downtime and processing. And so from other types, they're like, oh, that's lazy, but actually they have other stuff going on inside that is contributing to that issue. So once it's kind of like, I mean, it's like the motivation thing I was just saying, but once you understand like they've got other stuff, it's not personal, then it really opens up the relationship for a lot more growth and a lot more connection because, um, when you're able to communicate, Hey, like, I actually do want to be connected with you, but this is what's going on. Um, you can like, that's how you get connection, right? That communication is so important. Oh my gosh. That is so good. Um, because I know I'm not the only one that has thought this, but about other people being lazy. Um, yeah. but that is so, that is so true. You just don't know what else the work that might be happening, the things that might be happening on the inside and the need for that downtime. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So in, in your book, you kind of break down one of the, the, I don't know if it's like the, one of the main sections into you go by number, which by the way, and we're going to talk about this at the end. If you don't have Steph's book already, like this was so good. And it's, it's a quick read, right? Um, yeah. but, but like, it's also like a, a reference book, like one that you like, mm -hmm. you'll read, but want to pull back off. But in it, you talked about levels of development in this section for each number, um, communication and conflict style or how mm -hmm. they handle it. Intimacy, which I want to talk about in just a second. Um, just, I guess, key points to be self-aware about, and then how to be in a relationship with that particular number. Um, I don't want you to have to go like, how, like explain what each number is, but is there like a quick, um, 
tip or thought that you could share about each number, about maybe how they like to be loved or how they give love or just something so people can start to maybe um, explore some of these numbers and maybe entice them to learn more about them. Yeah. Yeah. I would be happy. Like we could talk maybe about some of the strengths and weaknesses of each type. Yes. I um, love that. Cause that will really connect. I think um, there's so much to say. I but, know. I know. I'm <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do think, especially with that communication and conflict piece, I think that is like one of the most important aspects of the book. Um, and the levels of development too. If, if anyone's not familiar, levels of development means basically if you're healthy in your type, if you're average levels of health in your type, or if you're unhealthy in your type and how your type plays out will look different in those different levels. Okay. And while you're, while you're maybe thinking about what you're going to say next, I do you, that made me think of something like so good that you had said, and I want to, I wanted to quote it specifically, but you were saying that in the beginning, um, that just basically, and you, you add to this cause these are your words, but you were saying just because you're a certain number, doesn't mean like you're in this box. What knowing your number means is that you have the tools to maybe get out of your box. Is, did I say mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Okay. So I took that as like, you know, we're not just a number and like, well, this is just how I am. Right. It's having awareness and potentially being a healthier version or, or whatever, so that you can show up um, for yourself and maybe for others that you care about in, in a different way. Yeah. And that's actually the thing I really love about the Enneagram is that some of the other personality profiling systems don't really look at your, like the bad, like the shadow side. Yes. They don't look at the negative aspects of you. And what that does is it, is, is it basically assumes that if you just increase the positive sides, that you can ignore the negatives, but you can't. And so to actually do the, the work and to do the inner work, to have better relationships, you have to do your own work to look inside, look at the stuff you don't want to look at, your blind spots, shadow sides, those types of things. And that's, that's how you can grow. So um, when we're in our type and our, our very um, kind of average levels of health, we'll end up looking like the stereotypes. We'll end up looking like all the memes you see on Instagram of the different Enneagram types. That is very, like those are stereotypes. But when you grow and you become more healthy, you actually have more balance and you don't look as much like your Enneagram type because you are more balanced in the way that you present in the world because you're not ruled by this personality structure or framework. I love, so it's like there's opportunity for growth. Yeah. You know, just have to, to settle with that, with whatever yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah. So um, for type ones, type ones are often called the fixer, the reformer, or the improver. I don't typically use those words um, or the labels only because I think that sometimes people hear, oh, the perfectionist, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, so I must be this type. It doesn't really work like that. So, but some people find them helpful. So type ones are really motivated by the need to be good, right, and correct. Their strength is really that they offer excellence in the world. They bring excellence in everything that they do. Their weakness is that they're highly self-critical and that can really shoot them in the foot a lot of the time because they don't actually see how good they are. They think they should always do better. Mm -hmm. And should is a big 
word for once. <laughs> Should themselves. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know. You know, if you want. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, and yes, I do. Yes. I think I do anyway. Yeah. The type twos um, are the helper, the befriender or the giver, and they are motivated by the need to be loved. And they believe that they're most loved, wanted and needed when they are being helpful to others. So they, they are altruistic when they're, um, when, when they're healthy, but sometimes they can be a little bit manipulative when they're not as healthy. So their strength is that they're very connective and relational. Their weakness though, is that they don't believe that they need any help or even any care for themselves. So they kind of forget about self-care and just care for everyone else. Which is not sustainable. <laughs> no, it is not. And I think you see a lot of twos start to run into that, especially once they learn the Enneagram. They're like, oh my gosh, I've never actually cared for myself before. Yes. Um, yeah, it's hard. Type threes are the achiever or the performer. I like the performer because it kind of gets at the fact that they are performing rather than that. Because the achiever makes it sound like threes are always the most successful, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, they're motivated by a need to find their worth and their productivity. So that can sometimes look like being successful and sometimes it just looks like being um, finding their worth wherever other people see worth in them. And their strength is really that they're adaptable and they're very driven and they can kind of make friends with anyone because they can adjust who they need to be in, in the room. But their weakness is that they just don't know how to turn it off. They don't know how to turn off the shape shifting and they don't know how to turn off the drive forward. So is that, is that, really hard. Is it hard then I'm assuming to get to know a three because they are, they are the shape shifting. It can be. I think that threes when they're in a relationship that is closer, they tend to be very genuine and especially threes in specific, um, cultural upbringings. Um, like I grew up in the Bible belt in the South, right? So there is an aspect of being in that environment where I believed that to be vulnerable was to be successful in that environment. Like that's what was expected of me. So I learned how to be vulnerable. Um, so, so you, you have these things where it's like, and I will say that type of vulnerability, that performative vulnerability isn't true vulnerability. It's actually just, it's, it's a learned trait. It's not, not necessarily what we're after, but there is an aspect of threes where they, they will shapeshift, but they also, they, they are very genuine when you actually get to know them. It's just that if they don't trust you yet, or if they're, mm. if you're not the person that they're going to process with, then you, you don't get to know them. Yeah. <laughs> they they kind of keep you at arm's length. Yeah. Um, and, and that was one, and I don't want to cut you off cause I want to keep going, but that was one thing in the intimacy, intimacy section for each type. Yeah. It seemed like there was a difference, but there was some common theme of like really needing to feel seen and trust yeah. in order to have that. And that, that probably I'm sure looks different for each number. Um, but that yeah. seemed to be like a common theme was feeling 
I don't know, safe, or you probably have better words, but just feeling trust that they could trust somebody in order to open up and not have performative vulnerability, but true vulnerability and connection. Yeah. 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 It's, it's challenging. And, um, I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute, but there, there are those different aspects of, and levels of comfort with each of the types. Um, so for type fours, they are called the romantic or the individualist. They're motivated by the need to find their true heart. And I, when I say that, I know it sounds like really woo woo, but fours get it. Like fours, I've, I've had a couple of podcast interviews recently with fours. And when I say that, they're like, oh, <laughs> they just, they just like, they're like, oh, I, I just feel that so deeply. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so fun. So fours, their strength is really that they think outside the box. They're creative, but that doesn't always mean artsy. That really means that they don't have like some sort of, you know, um, predetermined box that they have to, to stay inside. They, they are a lot more creative in the way that they think and the way that they approach things. Um, and their weakness is that they have all these big dreams, but they don't tackle them often because actually doing the work, the action part, that feels really hard. And so often they defeat themselves before they even get to that action part. Um, and unfortunately that turns into a bit of a cycle. Well, I'm maybe I'll talk about this in a second, but as a seven, that kind of resonates with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And you know, something that jumped out at me with the four that I hadn't ever really thought about too, and feel free to expand on is like, if you are in a relationship with the four, maybe you are one, um, like getting creative with solutions. I don't know. Cause like sometimes I've, I hear like other couples fights and like somebody will bring up an idea and the other person's like, that's so stupid, but it's like, who knows what their number is. Right. But just like yeah. even creativity and maybe out of the box thinking when it comes to like coming up with solutions for that specific relationship, I don't know if that could be a strength for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Number five. Fives are the investigator or the observer, and they're motivated by the need to be competent and self-sufficient. And part of, part of that is that they want to conserve their resources. They want to conserve their energy so that they don't end up feeling depleted. So they tend to kind of self-isolate because they, they want to make sure that nothing else can deplete their energy. Their strength is really that they're always the most competent person in the room because they do so much research. And once they actually speak up about something, they know what they're talking about. Their weakness though, is that getting out of their head and actually doing the thing like speaking up or taking action or, um, you know, moving forward with a project or, or with a relationship, even that part is really hard. So sometimes they might, you know, have a crush on someone for a very long time before they actually do anything about it, or they might wait for the other person to do something about it. Mm, so interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So sixes are the trooper, the guardian, or the loyalist, and they're really motivated by the need to be safe and secure and to have kind of an alliance or, or guidance um, in, in life. 
And sixes are interesting because there are a couple different types of sixes and they have the same core motivation, but they look totally different on the outside. So some sixes seem more like twos on the outside where they're a little bit, um, I, I would say like a little bit less overt about everything. They're just like more, more in, um, isolated or turning inward a little bit more. Um, very helpful. Whereas the other type of sixes, they look more like eights, which we'll get to in a second, where they're a little bit more confrontational. But both sixes have the strength of troubleshooting, which is they can see what might go wrong. Um, and that's, that's a real strength because they can make a plan for it. Yeah. Their, their weakness though is that they can see what might go wrong and it goes into overdrive and that turns into anxiety. Yeah. And so they just spiral in their, in their heads. Yeah. I think could, could they also be dream squashers? <laughs> I'm kind I mean, of teasing. I'm kind of teasing. Um, but that, that safe and, um, Need, wanting to like protect I'm sure themselves and the people they love um could come across maybe in like a in a in a dream crushing way <laughs> maybe yeah, like because they immediately think of the practicality yes yeah yeah you know all the details yes this is where like motivation I think just is like so important and understanding each other versus yeah. like they're not being mean <laughs> or like dismissive yeah. It's like, no, this is how they are. Oh my God. So good. Okay. Okay. So six and then sevens. Sevens are called the enthusiasts. Sometimes they're called the epicure, which is kind of a fun title for them, but um, they're motivated by the need to be free of pain um, and, and to really like to be free to pursue any opportunity. And that really means avoiding pain, right? And sometimes pain for sevens is boredom, sadness, um, physical pain. Actually, I don't think is as scary to sevens as the emotional pain or or just being bored. They just hate that. Feels physically painful for sevens. Yeah, that feels <laughs> like, true. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So their weakness is really that they're fun and enthusiastic and kind of can get anyone on board with whatever they're doing, which is an incredible gift to their relationships and to people around them. And their weakness is really that being present is hard because it requires slowing down enough and slowing their minds enough to actually be in their body and to feel their feelings. And that's really hard. Yes. I will just, I will just share like it, it, like I don't love to have hard conversations. I think I'm like, again, like going back to the, like, this is my box, but like, I'm working to get out of my box. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of that, but I could definitely see, um, how I've maybe just walked away from people kind of like Mm -hmm. shut people out because it got too complicated. Yeah. (laughs) Feelings, emotions, right. Um, it wasn't fun anymore. So yeah. that, that's real. And that's, um, I mean, and just, I think it's just been a year now since I've really understood the Enneagram, not even understood it, but just became aware of it. Um, and that's been really helpful. Even just like with friendships, I have to like assess, like, 
am I avoiding? Am I just dismissing too quickly? Like, is there something here that I need to, to do a better job of yeah. being available for? Yeah. And, but I think that that is so powerful. Once sevens really have that more integrated experience of life, there's so much more available, like so much more depth and opportunity available to you. Um, when you stop running, I mean, and that's true for all of us, right? When we stop doing the thing that we're avoiding, there's actually a lot more life that's available. Yes. And is there, is it true that like we have, I think I heard this, but I don't know from where, so it might not be a credible source that we all have pieces of the Enneagram inside of us, each number. It's just that one is more dominant. So if you resonate with some of this, is that an accurate way of saying that? Yeah. So there, there are a lot of other like Enneagram theory reasons why we'd resonate with, with different types. For example, if you're in the same stance as a different type, which we don't have time to get into today, or if you're in the same intelligence center, or um, if it's one of your arrows. So all of those Enneagram lingo things. Um, <laughs> have, to but, get the book. But, have to get the book. <laughs> yeah. But, but yes, it, in general, and, and that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier when I talked about balance, because you will see more of a balance of all nine types when you are healthier because we all do have aspects of each type in us. It's just that we have one core motivation. Um, and even when we're the healthiest we ever have been, we still have that same core motivation. Um, it just plays out differently. Okay. And so that's a question that I've heard in general about the Enneagram and I don't always know what to say is, um, are we, so we're born with this motivation and it, it does not change. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons why people think that they, their types change, but, mm -hmm. but it doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. There you go. You, it's on the record. It doesn't change. Okay. <laughs> so type eights um, are the challenger or the protector sometimes. And they're always the protector. They're sometimes called the protector. Um, eights are motivated by the need to protect themselves from feelings of betrayal or vulnerability and um, to prevent themselves from seeming weak. So mm -hmm. they kind of portray this exterior of strength and they are very strong. Like that, that really is their, their strength is their strength that they um, are tough minded, that they are really, they know what they want and what they need and they're not willing to compromise on that. Their weakness is also that, that toughness or that, that outer strength, because underneath it is just like this very innocent and soft person, mm -hmm. but they, they really portray the, the strength on the outside so that they don't end up feeling controlled and they have to be able to, to take that barrier down in order to truly find connection in relationships. So, okay. So I don't want to make this about, seven, but the, just this, this brought up, cause I'm sure that though you can apply this to all the numbers, but it sounds like eight, for example, I think this goes back to like the motivation, just being understanding. You were saying that they kind of run away from emotion because they don't want to feel weak. Whereas a seven may run away from it because they don't want to be in pain or it's too uncomfortable. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so just, just understanding that again, people's actions, mm -hmm might have very different 
motivations, but I just find that so fascinating and like could be life-changing for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Cause sevens, it's, it's like that. They don't want to be trapped. Right. Even, even a lot of sevens, I, I resonate strongly with seven, even though I'm a type three. If I hear the word like trapped, it gives me like serious anxiety. <laughs> um, and, and for eights, it's more about uh, becoming a fortress so that that nobody can get in yeah um, and then finally nines they're the peacemaker the mediator they are motivated by the need to be at peace internally and externally so the way that they do that is they tamp down their own desires and their own they kind of fall asleep to themselves and they also kind of go with the flow externally so that they don't have to feel that sense of discord that could come when their internal desires aren't aligned with what's external. Mm-hmm. So their strength is really that they bring unity. They bring unity, meaning they uh, can kind of be at harmony with a lot of people. They, they help people to feel really comfortable. Their weakness is that they have a really hard time speaking up for themselves. And once they do, once they become more aware and start talk, like asserting themselves, people that they're in relationships with often have a really hard time because they're like, you're not who I married. Why are you suddenly asserting yourself? Um, And and it's a huge point of growth for nines, but it's hard for other people because they're not used to that. So fascinating. Um, I guess that goes back to that, uh, some type of quote. It's like, it's not the person that you're going to be with for the rest of your life or like in that certain moment, it's like who you could grow with. Um, cause I'm yeah. sure we can all like in, within each of these numbers and just as human beings are going, are going to grow and shift. Um, but that's really interesting about nine specifically. Um, yeah. cause that would kind of be like, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> who are you now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So this, this is so good. Um, I want to get into, if you're down for it, some specific questions that we got from Instagram. Um, and we'll just kind of, we'll kind of run through these. And I didn't, I didn't tell Steph this, but I have some rapid fire questions for her in general, but these are going to be kind of rapid fire for Enneagram and love relationships specifically. Um, do you want to do it now? Okay. So I'm so um, sorry. Oh, and you know what? Let me just tell you what my, I usually have a dog. I do have a dog who is like barking and has something to say only when I'm on a video. Um, so my dog has been featured on many podcasts and I just, (laughs) I'm not a perfectionist, so it doesn't bother me in the least. And if you're a listener, I think that you're probably the same way, or at least don't mind either because my sound quality is definitely not perfect. So don't even worry. (laughs) Um, okay. So this is, this is a really good question that I I could kind of relate to when, when she shared it. Um, and you probably will be able to speak a little bit firsthand because she is a three. Um, the question says, this might sound crazy. Um, but what do you do when things are just good. Like there's no conflict. Um, she kind of went on to say like, she's a three. So she feels like she's always working towards something. And this relationship is in like such a good place 
that she doesn't feel like there's anything to work towards. So it's like, am I, am I, um, something or improving something, getting feedback on how I'm doing. And then I get really antsy. It's so weird in this relationship, not to feel like we're working on something. It makes me uneasy sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that is hard. Also, I don't know if that necessarily, I think it could have something to do with the Enneagram, right? The three has that drive, that, that need to always be improving and moving forward. But it is not healthy to always need some zest or passion or spark or conflict to feel good about your relationship. It is okay for it to be boring sometimes. Because as humans, we're not intended to, to have that constant, like the amount of stress that that causes on a person and your like literally your cortisol levels <laughs> is not healthy. So I totally get what, the, what this person is saying. And I also think that we need to change our perspective of what it means to improve, what it means to be successful. I think a lot of threes tend to think like, oh, I have to have this goal. But what if the goal is looking inward? What if the goal is feeling your real feelings in the moment? What if the goal is finding more connection? Um, that you're never going to reach the end of. So change the goal, shift that a little bit. And I think that's where you can find a little bit more health. And also if the relationship just, maybe that's something where you're not allowing yourself to feel your real feelings. Maybe your relationship isn't what you actually want or need out of life. That's a different conversation. So also get more in tune with that. Yeah, I know that's like, that's hard to like, just based on what I shared, hard to know, but that's interesting. And I will just share, um, you know, sometimes people have babies thinking like, oh, that will like fix. I bought a house. That'll spark <laughs> right? it up. Oh yeah. It'll be <laughs> so good. But I think that goes to like, and again, yeah. Is this the Enneagram or just relationships in general? I don't know. But, um, like I, I have definitely just calling myself out. I definitely have experienced that. Cause like whenever you said relationships aren't always supposed to be fun or exciting or you said something, and I was like, Oh, I know that, but like, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. And I would like, things were not going well in a, in a past relationship. And so we bought a house and we had a great relationship <laughs> to fix up the house. Right. Like we didn't have to actually yeah talk to each other other than like, Oh, projects and like Home Depot and paint colors and like all this stuff financing. And it was like, yeah, we're a team. Like, let's do this. But then when the dust settled, um, it was like, okay, wow. We're literally in the exact same spot. <laughs> and now we have a house <laughs> Yeah, or a baby in some situations. Yeah. So, okay. Great advice. So let's, Let's, let's keep going. Okay. So we had a question. Um, oh, this was good. You, you stated this in your book from the beginning, but one of the questions was, um, around compatibility, compatibility, um, like scores low on a combat, why can't I say this stuff? Compatibility. <laughs> there we go. I was like, Wait, did I just have a stroke? I don't know. Um, compatibility <laughs> test is the relationship doomed? And then there was some version of like, are there certain types of numbers that are more compatible than others? 
Yeah. I get asked this all the time. And actually, unfortunately, somebody recently took some info that I shared with them and manipulated it to show a level of compatibility, but that's not the case. There is no Enneagram type pairing that is more compatible than another type pairing. I really like there are certain type pairings that sometimes work together better. Sometimes if you have more in common with someone, it works better. Sometimes if you have more in common with someone, it, it's worse. So it, it has nothing to do with that. What you need is two people who are willing to do the work. So do the inner work is what I'm talking about. Willing to show up for one another, to be kind to one another. Okay. That's huge. A lot of people kind of make this assumption that if they, if their relationship is really hard and full of conflicts that they're building a really good relationship, but that's not, that's not the case. Like, no, <laughs> it's like, be kind to one another, um, show up and do the work and then have an open-handed approach. You alluded to this earlier as well, where we go into relationships sometimes and we're not okay with that person growing and changing, but like we should want to grow and change both together and apart. Um, and loving one another for the full aspect or full spectrum of humanity of that person, that's important. And so I don't really believe that there are types that are most compatible. There are types that are more common, but there aren't types that are most compatible. It's, it's really who you choose. And I know that's hard because people want, they want an answer. They want to solve it, but right. it's really right. about we want listening to guidance. I think that's important. Yeah. You know, this, that, this, some of this that we've talked about today reminds me, and this sounds so silly, but like reminds me of um, Jada and Will's relationship, <laughs> Will Smith, sure. because they talk about like the struggles of their relationship and finally almost having to like just dissemble their whole marriage and then like grow as people and then come together again as, as a couple. And, but it like, they had to go inward with themselves for it to work together. So there is that, that shadow work, the inner work, um, is really important. Yeah. Um, okay. So this question is specifically about to, how could a romantic relationship between two sixes work? But I think just kind of for listeners in general, what thoughts are, should we be aware of when we're the same number as our partner? Any, yeah. any additional things we need to be aware of? Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely a level of like same strengths, same weaknesses, right? So you might get each other on a really deep level. You might see each other and be like, oh my gosh. I totally get you. Nobody's ever gotten me like this. But what ends up happening is that you can also have the same like challenges where maybe you're really suspicious of other people and you're always looking for a little lack of trust, um, a, little, a little inkling that you can't rely on someone. And then your partner gives that to you in a really small way. And then you both start compounding on <laughs> oh, I can't trust this person. I can't trust this person. So going back and forth with that. Um, so that's something that can happen with two sixes, but in any same type pairing, um, you have to really be able to face your shadow side because you're going to see it in your partner more than you see it in yourself. Oh, that is so good. That's deep. <laughs> it's deep. It's so good. Um, one question that 
that we didn't get into. And I had sent you some questions, but I got some later on. Um, and you have, you have a whole section on this uh, with, um, with each number around intimacy. Yeah. And could you just, could you just talk about that maybe in general about like what, like what people need or like what to be aware of when, and, and this maybe just be repetitive of what we've, of what we've talked about, whether it's physical, emotional intimacy, um, and maybe how, like what to be aware of with other people. And even just maybe in ourselves, like when we don't feel connected in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I'll, I'll mention how I got, got to those conclusions. Basically, I did some reading around um, intimacy, like what I could find on the internet. There wasn't a ton intimacy with each Enneagram type. And then I posted a survey online um, and basically asking about like, what does intimacy mean to you? What does physical intimacy mean to you? What is emotional intimacy? Like, what do you need? What does your partner need, et cetera. And I posted on Instagram, I got 600, 700 responses. Oh so gosh. pretty good sample size, right? Um, I'm in grad school, so I'm always thinking about that sample size um, and that type of thing. There, there's obviously a bent to it where it's like probably more women than men responded, things like that. But anyway, um, basically the overarching thing that people said was one, communication is really important. Um, it is also really important for every type to feel really safe. So whether that's safe with communication or to feel safe um, with emotional intimacy before they really go into the physical aspects. Um, some types, specifically threes, sevens, and eights, had a little bit of an easier time connecting physically before they could find the connection emotionally. Um, but other types, like twos, fours, and nines, the emotional aspect was so all-encompassing. Um, that it was like that had to be really, really solid first. So those are kind of some of the differences. Um, let's see, ones, fives, and sixes are the other ones. They, they had their own like different things to share, but with all of them, the communication was really, really important. Um, and I think that goes with all of this stuff, like, right, like understanding the motivation, understanding because those really intimate parts of ourselves and um, vulnerable parts of ourselves yeah. really come out clearly with our significant other. Yes. Um, that is, that is so good. And I, I don't know what number it was specifically, but it doesn't matter. But just like understanding, I think, I think understanding even like what makes us feel comfortable yeah is really important. And then understanding, um, I felt this, even though I know it wasn't my number, it was like something about like, I might've been a two where like they need, they needed you to like ask you about their day and like care about like, I don't know what number it was, but it's like in order for them to be. And sometimes we think like, Oh, it's a, it's a woman versus a man thing, but it's so much, it's so much more than that. Cause I know, I know men who are that way. And it's really, again, yeah. just going back to the motives, yeah. understanding those. Um, okay. So, so good. All right. I have just a couple more. Let me see here. Um, any thoughts on, um, 
this one was like a specific business question. So I'll, I'll ask it, um, how much of our business should we share in new relationships? Hmm. That's tough. Um, I feel like what makes you comfortable, <laughs> like enough that makes you comfortable, but like, you don't have to feel like you have to share every little aspect of it. Um, I think that especially with, with, with women who are in relationships with men, there is an assumption that the woman has to share every aspect of her business because then it becomes their business as a couple. And that I think is just not helpful. Like, like women can have their own business and not actually have their partner. Um, like their partner obviously has to be supportive to some extent, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their partner needs to, to know all, all of the little details, especially at, at the beginning. <laughs> um, I think that that, that specific dynamic I think is a little bit different, but, um, I, I'd say share what makes you feel comfortable. And then if, if you don't feel comfortable, don't feel pressured to share anything that you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. No matter, no matter what it is. Um, yeah. And then as things progress, I guess you could share more if that makes sense. Um, okay. We have, I have a, two more. Do you have time? Cause I know we're okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, these are pretty, these are good. These are pretty specific though. So one is as a nine, so we, just a reminder, peacemaker, um, that Steph was telling us about, as a nine with an anxious attachment style, how do I reframe the need for validation? Um, I know, I was I like, this like, is over my Enneagram head, so I don't know, I gotta default to you 100%. <laughs> I feel like I'm not as familiar as anxious, with anxious attachment or like the attachment styles as I should be. I, I used to be, and I just haven't, they may have a hard time feeling secure in relationships. Um, yeah. So how do they reframe their need for validation? It's a question. Yeah. Look, I think we all need to build the skill of validating ourselves. I think so there are a lot of us, I mentioned, I, grew up in the Bible belt and I'm a woman, which means there are a lot of ways that I was basically raised to believe that I'm not allowed to do that for myself, that it's not okay to think highly of myself. Um, and those are really difficult kind of concepts to, to unravel, but we have to do it. We have, I just posted on Instagram yesterday about um, self friendship, this concept of like becoming a good friend to yourself. And so, oh, so I, think, I think it's so important because we have, we can't get that validation from other people. Um, and I'm a three. So like, I totally get it where it's like, I really want to feel validated. And my husband and I early on in our relationship had this conversation where he was like, I was like, come on, like affirm me or whatever. And he was like, I'm literally not going to because you want me to, <laughs> not because I don't think highly of you, but because you are asking me to. And I had to learn the skill of like giving myself affirmation in the mirror or, um, and, and reframing it and being like the only person that 
it actually matters if they like me or not is me. Mm. So reframing that I think is, is really important. Um, and, and giving it to yourself. Yeah. And I know it's way harder than finding it in somebody else though. But it is, you know, that reminds me of Gretchen Rubin, the book about mm. happiness. She talks about like she, all she wanted was like gold stars from her husband. I feel like she might be a three. I don't know, but um, <laughs> um, I think that that might be the most, one of the most important takeaways from today is that self-friendship. And I'll have to link that specific post in these show notes because by the time this comes out, that'll be, that'll be gone. But that was really good because, um, you know, even, I, I think it's human nature. I don't know that has, I'm sure there's different reasons for each of the numbers, but it does feel good when somebody congratulates you or applauds you. But when we give our power to somebody to make us feel good in the praise, we also give them the power to take it away with the, any, any negative feedback or criticism they might have. So I think that, that obviously we need a healthy dose of like, you know, I don't, what is it like helpful critiquing? Um, but, um, it can, I know for, for me in the past, and this is something that I'm, I'm working through myself is just, like you said, being a friend to yourself, talking to yourself the way that you would your friends um, and not looking for that outside validation or feeling like your world is crumbling when you don't get it or somebody gives you criticism. Yeah. Somebody you don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and too, like what I will say is I've talked a lot t- today about shadows and looking at those shadow sides, but what you have to keep in mind when you're doing that is to have a level of acceptance, a level of understanding, a level of non-judgment toward yourself when you observe those things, because you have to be able to understand them to grow. And you have to also be able to understand that those darkest things about you don't make you a horrible person. It like, you have to be able to observe them and understand them. And then that's how you can grow from it. Um, and so we do have to have that balance. Right. But I think that that self-affirmation and self-validation and being a good friend to ourselves is so much more about, um, it's like not ignoring that the negative stuff is there, but having a level of self-acceptance of the full spectrum of who we are. Yes. Yes. Not beating yourself up. And yeah, again, just just hard. It is. Oh, it's so hard. I know. Um, okay. One more relationship question. And I thought this, this might be an interesting take with the Enneagram. So any overall advice for a long distance, a long-term long distance relationship? We've been at it for over two years now. Oh, wow. And I don't know their types. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, right now, like everyone is all into Zoom, right? (laughs) Like I've been using Zoom for a little while and, and now it's so funny. It's just a household name, but I think making time for regular connection, there are actually studies that, that show that you can build as deep of a, a connection with somebody via technology um, as you can face to face, but it takes four times as long. So you have to be able to dedicate the amount of time needed to actually communicate. But I mean, you can still understand the affection. You can still understand that level of connection, but you have, it it just takes a little bit more intentionality to create um, 
that connection. So whether it's FaceTime, Zoom, um, Marco Polo, calling on the phone, texting, I think, but I think the, the video and phone things are way more powerful than, than, than text-based only. Just the text. You know, that's so interesting. And a lot of us have been and might be find ourselves in a, in a long distance relationship with quarantine. Um, even yeah. if it's not long distance, it might be just it is cut, now. cut off. Yeah, <laughs> it is now. So that was a very timely question for where we're at now. Um, okay. So before I move on to the rapid fire questions, is there anything else about the Enneagram being in a relationship, being in love that I haven't asked you that you feel like we, we should talk about in order to, to feel like this conversation is complete? Hmm. So question. I just want to reiterate, don't, I always say don't hire and fire based on Enneagram type. Same for your relationships. Don't depend on an Enneagram type to tell you who you should date or who you should break up with. Sometimes maybe if you're doing that, there's something inside that's telling you something different. So tune in to what's going on inside um, about that relationship. Oh, that is so good. So good. Kind of just not, not labeling and forgetting yeah. that every, where everybody is unique. We're all yeah. these interesting human beings. Um, okay, so I have a couple of rapid fire questions. As a business owner yourself, um, what, is, what is a book that you have found really helpful, personal development, business, marketing, um, to help you with where you're at right now in your business? Um, I think Dare to Lead by Brene Brown has been one of my favorites because yeah i mean it, it's just like it's so encouraging and i'm also reading playing big by tara moore <gasps> yeah okay i have read it um but it has been a long time and i just remember it being so good i say that about every book it was so good um but how are you how are you liking it i really like it i really like the way that um yeah just her approach to it her approach to the inner critic, the inner mentor, um, her approach to spirituality throughout it is just like really, really good. So, yes, I remember there was like some visualization parts that were, yeah, were good too. So, okay. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, me too. We got a lot of people who here who do got a lot of big Brene Brown fans too. So if they haven't already read awesome. that one, they're going to have to get that one. Okay. I, I already know the answer, but for anybody who doesn't, I think I know the answer. What is your favorite social media platform and why? Oh my gosh, definitely Instagram. <laughs> and I, I like it because you're able to have, you know, on each post, people can talk to each other and like have build community that way. And you're able to have like through direct messages um, to be able to like build actual genuine connections with people and like really meet people, really get to know people. I love that about it. I can't respond to every single DM anymore. I try my best. But, um, yeah, I love that. Oh, I'm with you. Um, what advice would you have for somebody who's maybe just getting going or newer to, you know, being an entrepreneur, having their own business? Yeah. Um, I would say don't lose sight of the goal. So mm. different things will come along and you might have to pivot, but like, and so remain open-handed and, and be able to pivot. But also I would say, 
it's really important just to like keep your goal in mind. Like, why are you doing this? Keep that in mind so that when things get really hard, which they will, you can go return back to that and tune into it to kind of motivate you to keep going. I love that stuff. That's so good. Okay. Two more. Um, what's a tool that you cannot live without for business or personal? A tool, hmm. maybe like an app or software or. I mean, this isn't like super high tech, but post-it notes. Uh, yes. I like, I take my post-it notes and I put my posts that I'm planning um, or post ideas, I guess, on my wall. And then I have my to-do list on my post-its, all this stuff. So. Oh my gosh. This is why I like you. I'd love post-its too. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons. Okay. And last, last question. Um, where, what's next? What's Ooh. next? Yeah. So I am graduating with my master's in organizational communication. Um, this year I have finished all my coursework. I just am working on my capstone project. And so what's next is really, um, ramping up that aspect of my business, um, and of my career. I got into the Enneagram and into my master's because I love talking with teams about how they can improve their communication using the Enneagram. So my master's, I'm, I'm going to be finishing up here, here soon. And then I'm really ramping up that aspect of my business. And cause I, I just love, like, I love the aha moments when people have, that people have, you know, now it's all on zoom, right? When it's like, Oh, that's why I do what I do. But what I really love, and I don't get to always be there for this aspect, but two weeks later when they're like, Oh my gosh, it has transformed our team. That's, I, I love getting that report back. Oh my God. That is amazing. Um, and you know, what's so interesting and I, I love what you're doing because how many times, I mean, how many people are out there and I have felt this way where it's like you have the, the whole like quit the nine to five movement. Right. And like, I hating going to work and like how much of an impact is the work that you're doing now potentially helping these companies like retain top talent and like really thriving, exciting communities because they're able to better tap into some of what we've talked about and have better relationships and understand their team yeah. so they don't want to leave. <laughs> so true. And, and right now with, um, with everybody working from home or most people working from home, um, mm. actually like employee engagement can really suffer when people work from home. And so there, there are actually a couple of interesting studies that suggest that. And so with working with the Enneagram and offering these different employee engagement programs, you can actually reconnect people and help them to have better identification with the organization so that they can be engaged and they won't turn over. So um, it's, it's all, I, and it seems like, I think for a lot of um, organizations right now, it seems like a big investment up front, but it is an investment in their people, which is their biggest asset. Right. Yeah. I mean, how much does it cost to like employee turnover and that type of thing? So, yeah. um, yeah, any company, this would be such a good investment. Okay. So tell us, tell us where you're at on Instagram, how we can get connected and then how we can get our hands on this book and maybe why we need to, why we need to grab this book. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is nine types co all spelled out. Um, and you can get the book in my bio 
or on Amazon. If you search my name, Stephanie Baron Hall, it should pop up. And you can also find me on my new podcast, Ask an Enneagram Coach. So that basically I kind of do what we did today where I just answer all the questions um, about the Enneagram because it is so complex and I want people to understand it better. And then I really like this book because I want people to be able to improve their relationships in a way that is really manageable. And often that starts within. And I think that the way that the book is laid out and the way that it's written, I think helps guide you through that process. Um, and it's not just good for romantic relationships. I think it's great for um, roommates or coworkers, or I had a friend who's a podcast host and she and her co-hosts are going through it together. And um, it's just great. So oh, all of us who love podcasts, you know, <laughs> are like, oh yes, that's amazing. So I think it's, I think it's really going to be beneficial for people. And, um, you know, you can always look up your new relationship or your old relationship or, um, everything. So I was gonna, I was gonna put plug that in at the end. It's like, it's not just for like really married or people in a relationship. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I've gone back like, Hmm. Um, and even like you said, just, it's like a, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great resource reference as well to pull off the shelf. Yeah. So the Enneagram in love, a roadmap for building and strengthening romantic relationships by Steph. And it's on, um, I was going to say it's on the Enneagram. It's on Amazon. <laughs> definitely check that out. Your podcast sounds awesome. And I appreciate you so much. I know this went over a little longer than I was, I was expecting, but this is really good and fun. And I think our listeners will love it too. So thanks. Thank I you hope so much. Too. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. All right. I'll see you soon. See you on Instagram. Thanks so much for being here and hanging out for another episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to an open book podcast so that it gets added to your library and is there when you're ready to listen. And when you leave a five-star review, email me over at hello at sarahlynnco.com or DM me on Instagram at sarahlynn.co and I'll send you a copy of my Beyond the Book book club recap and journal questions from our June pick, Stop Checking Your Likes by Susie Moore. In the meantime, take care of yourself and I'll see you back here soon.